Good morning. It's good to be with you. I'll be reading from Matthew chapter 15, verses 1 through 9. Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. He answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God. He need not honor his father. So for the, for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God, you hypocrites. Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching us doctrines, the commandments of men. God, Heavenly Father, we truly thank you for gathering us together here today. We ask, Lord, that you be with Aaron, that he brings the message, and that we will have open hearts and open ears. And, Lord, we pray in your Son's name. Amen. Thank you, Phil. Well, the Alphas can be dismissed. We'll continue in our series this morning on, or in 1 Timothy, picking up in chapter 5, and, and this morning we're going to talk about honor. We honor leaders with respect. If, if you were to meet with the president, regardless of what you think about him or previous or future presidents, you would stand up. If he entered into the room, you would address him by saying, Mr. President, uh, we also honor with praise. We cheer and we shout when our teams win the event. We admire athletes. I love seeing photos or videos of kids who get sneakers from an athlete and you just see the awe in their face with this athlete. Um, we honor students today. Dartmouth is graduating soon. The White River Valley will graduate. We have some kids in our church who will graduate. We will uh, honor their accomplishment, their hard work. We honor teachers with deference. Pretty soon, Dale will turn to Mrs. Post. If you're going to see her at Mid-Vermont, don't call her Dale. I need to learn how to do that. Our world honors sin. It's Pride Month. But Paul calls the LGBTQ practice and the culture dishonorable passage, or passions in Romans 1.26. Proverbs 16, 18 says pride goes before destruction. People, we honor the dead. We revere them. We honor the blessing that they have been in our lives. We try to remember them. What does God want us to honor? Proper honor will help us to be a proper church. But how do we do it? And I think 1 Timothy 5 will help us in that. Proper honor originates from a life that honors God. 
It's a litmus test for God's people. How we honor others in this life will show who we honor most. Remember that. As we go through this passage, that is our main point. And so would you pray with me uh, as we'll look at three examples that Paul gives of widows, elders, and masters uh, as this litmus test for us this morning. So Father, we thank you for this time this morning. God, we pray that you would help us to honor you. Um, as we've already done in singing songs and reading scripture and praying prayers, God, we ask that your name would be magnified. That we would give you the glory that you and you alone deserve. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you look in 1 Timothy 5, starting in verse 1 and 2, it kind of plants the seeds for where we're going to go. I'm going to read those two verses. Paul says to Timothy, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, in all purity. So we'll stop there. A family is comprised of different generations, different genders, expressing itself, especially in the family of God, in love. Family love is natural. We don't have to fight that most of the time. And so Timothy, Paul says, love the church like you love your family. We respect mom. We respect dad in our exhortation, our encouragement, in our comfort. You don't yell at your father. You come alongside your father. You aren't harsh with your mother. You care for her. Love your brothers and sisters, children. Love your brothers and sisters. In Timothy, his exemplary leadership that we saw last week, he's saying, don't be an adversary, Timothy, with your family. Save that for the false teachers that have infiltrated this Ephesian church. And so we see three sets of examples in our time this morning. Women, older women, are referred to as widows. We'll see elders, older men. Literally the same word for older men. And masters, whom he refers to as brothers and sisters. You see how these two first two verses set the stage for our time this morning. And some of these groups, especially in the church, can be hard to love at times. But with each group, we will see how will we honor them will show us who we honor most. So let's pick it up in verse 3. We'll read about widows, what Paul says. Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return for their parents. For this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for the members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband, having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, she has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. But refuse to enroll younger widows, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. 
Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. So I would have younger wi widows marry, bear children, manage their household, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. For some have already strayed after Satan. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. We'll stop there. So honor is giving respect as well as resources. We'll see throughout our time this morning. This word honor is shown of Judas. When he betrayed Jesus, he was given honor or a price for Jesus's head. As Phil referenced in the Matthew passage, the fifth commandment says to honor your father and your mother. It not only includes the respect that parents are due, but it also includes resources. Jesus' meaning in these passages in the Bible is saying that our honor should be with respect as well as resources. In the Ephesian culture, women obtained their status, their identity, first and foremost with their father. And when they were married, then it became through their husband. And then when their husband would pass, it then transferred over to their children. A true widow, according to Paul, has none of that. And so Paul's first recipient of honor is widows. Honoring one's parents is a simple way to return the sacrifice that parents have given to their children. Parents do a lot for children. Children, myself included, they don't ultimately realize the amount of sacrifice that parents give until we have our own children. But honoring your parents is an outworking, Paul says, of genuine faith. A true widow is one, as Paul says, who loves Jesus, who loves Jesus' church. Like an elder, she prays. She loves others. Moms don't live for personal pleasure. I have to tell Kristen often, stop, take a break. But no, she wants to continue to serve our children, and it's honorable. And so we are to treat these widows like we should treat our mom. We should care for them. If you don't, Paul's saying you might as well call yourself a non-Christian. Abandoned by their biological family, the church is to become and act like the family for these widows. And Paul's warning is harsh. But why? Well, honor shows. It shows who we truly honor. It's an outworking of our faith. We put our faith into practice. And if we have faith, we should care for those who are truly widows and we should honor them. As I realized this week, we have more widows in this church than we have elders. I met with some of them this week because I know what it means to be an elder. I also know what it means to serve underneath an elder as we'll talk about masters. We'll look at that as more of like a job situation. I know what it means to have a job. I know what it means to have people under me in a job, but I don't know what it's like to be a widow. So I took them to lunch on Friday. Churches should mobilize and meet the needs of those with no family to care for them with a program we see in verse nine. We help those with right character. Christian widows that are part of the church family. And Paul qualifies who should help 
with those, sorry, who we should help is those with the character, those with the uh, qualifications, but not with the competencies. It's similar language that Paul uses of elders back in chapter 3. He's more concerned with these women's character than what they're capable of doing. These ladies, they love the church. I, the ones that I met with, they love this church like their family. And their church family, friends, should love them and honor them as if they were our own mothers. Paul says this isn't for younger widows. They should remarry. False teachers wanted marriage to die. They wanted to be abstaining from marriage as we saw in previous chapters. They want to destroy the family. And so Paul says for these younger widows, uh, widows to get married, have children in the Lord. Don't abandon the faith. There was some scholars that would say that they were marrying unbelievers, abandoning their former faith. Where remarriage after the death of a spouse is biblical. We see Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 7. It says, A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. Yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is. So there's not a requirement. There's an opportunity. But it's good for younger women to, and especially widows, to remarry. Like we see of Adam. It was not good for him to be alone. It is also not good for young women to be alone as well. Marrying the Lord fights our temptation to draw our affections away from God. So it says in the Bible, Genesis, be fruitful and multiply. Where God created women with a unique role with unique dignity with unique val value and worth and only a woman contrary to popular belief can bear children can fulfill the role of a wife and a mom true christian widows deserve honor from the church james says this in his letter in chapter 1 verse 27 religion that is pure and undefiled before god is this to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Without a family, the role of protection and care comes to you and I for these widows. And so church, we must plan ahead to honor a widow, to provide for, it requires forethought. Kristen and I, when we moved here, we were looking for a home. We wanted to find a home that would have space for Kristen's parents or my parents. Maybe one day they could come and live with us. They don't need to come live with us right now. They're probably going to listen to this sermon, so I'll refrain from making comments about that. But they're welcome to come and live with us because we want to honor them for the sacrifices that they have made for us. Not providing for a personal family is acting like an unbeliever, as Paul says a lot of non-Christians don't like to work in our world, and that's what appears like, is that they're just becoming non, acting like non-Christians. Paul says, if you do not provide for your family, you're worse than an unbeliever. Honoring could be service. This is some of the feedback that I got. It could be just basic things like going by a widow's house and stacking some wood, helping them around the house, or as they've lost a significant loved one, just spending time with them where they 
are in a home when they used to have their spouse there and sometimes the evenings can be very lonely. With a husband gone, we can also come alongside them and provide counsel. You know, they used to run ideas by their husband and now they might have their family to do it, but they don't want to burden their family. But we get the honor of being their family with them as well. And we can just be a listening ear to help them. Hey, what are you trying to think through? What do you need help with? Or maybe you can invite them over to a meal where they used to have a table with their spouse and they would have a meal together with them and now they're potentially alone. They've suffered the loss. So they might be lonely at times. We as a church can come alongside these folks in doing that. And there's a mutual benefit to service like this. We get to learn how to grieve from folks who have grieved much. We get the privilege to care for and serve them, to honor them, to come alongside them. It will take time to build some rapport with each other, but the more and more we do this, the more natural it will become, like a husband and a wife, right? If you're married, you know, early on, things can be awkward, but over time, things become very natural in the way that you care for one another. And so we get to do that. We get to grow in our relationship and over time it'll become more and more natural for us to care for each other in this church we won't grow in this though if we don't put forth effort in this so how we honor them will show who we honor most those in our church family who are lonely not just widows should be pursued those who are lonely will need to ask God to, for humility to receive some of the service that we want to provide for them. And that was some of the feedback that they shared. That it was hard, like we can all admit, to be humble, to receive service from other folks. We all need humility. But our focus here was on widows. Without moms and wives, I think we can all admit we'd all die. So let's encourage the older ladies in this church, especially those who are widows. I think we need more from them and receive more from them than they will get from us as we do that. Next, elders or old men. That's me, even though I don't have a lot of gray hair. That's why I keep my hair short so you can't see my gray hair. Look at verse 17. The, the word elder here is the same word we see in verse 1 for older man. But you see here that it's primarily directed towards the office of elder. Verse 17. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and a laborer deserves his wages. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God, and of Christ Jesus, and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging. Do nothing from partiality. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. The sins of some people are conspicuous, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. 
We'll stop there. Preaching and teaching is toil. It's implied here in the text that it is hard work. But friends, it is a rewarding job. I sometimes I just sit in my office and I'm like, I get to do this for a living. Study the scriptures to then explain it and preach it to you. It's exhausting. For those of you who talk for a living, it is exhausting, but it is rewarding. We're to honor widows, but we are also to give elders, says double honor. Many of you, when I first arrived here, would call me Pastor Aaron or refer to me as pastor. And some of you, I'd say, oh, you can just call me Aaron. But I appreciate the level of respect that you have given me for the office that I hold. I thank you. You can call me whatever you want. Just not late for dinner. It's fine. But I don't think double honor means that an elder is to receive double the honor financially that a widow is or to be paid doubly for our job. But it's that terminology of the resources, but also the respect that the office entails. And so, church, you've honored me. And so I thank you for that. You've made me part of this family more than I could even describe. I'm not going to try. I'm not going to cry. Today marks three years from the first time our family came into this building together. You honor me in your care. You honor me in your respect. But you also honor me in the generosity that you've given to our family. And so a church should compensate elders well, not to be rich, but also not to be poor. Quoting Deuteronomy and Jesus, Paul uses language to, similar to what he said to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 9. says, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. And so an elder such as myself should be paid for the job that they do. And it's hard to do that from this pulpit, but you call me to preach the scripture. And so as I'm like, okay, you should pay me. This is a weird conversation. So I'm just delivering the mail. But this job is a joy. One day, Lord willing, we may add another pastor to this church. And so let's use what Paul says to Timothy here to honor that brother, Lord willing, one day. Widows like mothers, elders are like fathers, and so we are to honor them. Elders should be qualified too, just like the widows were to be qualified for the honor that they were due. Without godly character, an elder should not be honored. As we talked about on Wednesday night, we spent our Wednesday night talk this past Wednesday on church discipline. Paul says here to go with two or three witnesses to substantiate a claim of sin against an elder that is dishonorable to God. And so to go with more than one person to say, this is what we are observing. And the point of church discipline, the point of this passage is to encourage not only myself, but the elders to have a posture of repentance. Repentance is a change in action. And if an elder does not repent, it is to then be a public rebuke. Paul did this in chapter 1. He handed Hymenaeus and Alexander over to Satan. Repentance is the goal for me. Repentance is the goal for all of our leaders. Repentance is the goal for all of us as a church. And Paul says, so that the rest may stand in fear, not in scare or in being in dread of what is to come to it, but in honor of God. 
and what He has done for us, what He calls us to do, that we obey Him and we don't want to violate His will, will as revealed in the Scripture. This is a warning. The temporal judgments here are a warning for final judgment to come in the end. And then it seems like Paul makes some sort of brain fart in verse 23. And so, drink a little wine, not only drink only water. But this connects to the idea for widows being forbidden in marriage or elders being forbidden from food that these false teachers are infiltrating into this church. We saw that in earlier chapters where these false teachers were saying abstain from marriage and abstain for food. Timothy was following along in some way and saying, well, I'm going to be holy by just drinking water while he is suffering. Kind of like a... I only boil my sap with firewood as opposed to maybe using propane. I got so tired of using just wood this year, I was running out of patience. So I just finished it with propane. I've already eaten it, so you don't have to worry about it and scold me later. I won't share it with you. I just can't taste the difference yet. And I don't know if you can either. <laughs> like widows, we evaluate the elders' true belief. So we take time. We're not hasty because over time sin can be revealed where we exercise caution. But if nothing hinders things, then we extend the honor that these elders are due. We're to honor them like a father. We don't expect sin, but we take an appropriate amount of time to see if there is any sin in an elder. When I was being evaluated for this role three years ago now, Marty interviewed me, he talked to my pastor, he talked to one of my best friends, he checked my teaching, he checked my preaching, he checked my doctrine. We sat down with some of you in this room to hear from me. Some of you were here when we came that first time three years ago. And some of you had apprehensions back then and you've expressed that to me because I was an outsider and that's okay. But over time, we've become more like a family. And over time, honor is conveyed. And so I thank you for that. And pray that I continue to be worthy of the honor. And you as a church get to come alongside me. We talk about that as a church member, that it's a covenant with our leaders where there's things that you should expect of me and there's things that the leaders expect of our members to come alongside, to pray for one another, to call out sin if necessary so that all would repent. So we honor widows, we honor elders, and how we do that will show who we honor most. And next, it's masters, an exhortation to everyone, brothers and sisters. We'll read the last first two verses of chapter 6. Let all who are under a yoke of, as bondservants regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better, since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. So, widows get honor, elders get double honor, and if you see in verse 1, masters get all honor. How we honor those in the family of God will show who we honor most. And doing this honors God. So the term here, you've probably seen it in the scripture before. It can be translated as bondservants. It can also be translated as slaves or servants. 
Many of these slaves had indentured themselves because they were in debt. And so they functionally got a job to pay off their debt. And so think about this in terms of needing to pay our bills. It's not like the American version of slavery in the 1800s. The family language, though, continues because both master and slaves, as believers, are now brothers. They're part of the same family. So you see how this all connects back to the beginning of chapter 5, where we honor the older men, the older women, and brothers and sisters. Slavery is not the issue here, but be like brothers and sisters, equals before God. Honor your boss, who might be a brother or a sister in Christ. Honor your mom as a widow, an elder, like a father. And in God's household, service and honor don't come from power and nobility, but sacrifice. And so we serve each other because we are brothers and sisters. That's part of our covenant, what we'll talk about shortly in our meeting, where we come alongside and we covenant with one another to exercise all of the one another's in scriptures for each other's benefit. There's a mutual honor where workers are paid, masters get work done, everyone is honored. And this passage isn't about widows and elders and masters, it's about how we honor God by honoring each other in God's family. Our nuclear family is a lot easier to love, but the church family is who God calls us to love because it shows that we honor him. And Paul's combating these false teachers, ordered in creation. Satan wants to destroy families, our identity as men and women. He wants to destroy the idea of motherhood and fatherhood. And if he succeeds, our goal or our view of God's order in the church is therefore sabotaged. And I think we'd all admit he's doing it today. And so as we close out our time, I want us to remember five things from this passage. How we honor others will show who we honor most. First, this passage is about honoring God. I've mentioned that multiple times. Out of our honor towards God, we honor others. It's natural. Moms have cared for all of us, and so we care for them. Fathers, they serve us, and so we then serve them. Brothers and sisters, we deserve each other's mutual respect. Widows are honored, elders are double honored, and masters get all honored, but friends, Jesus gets eternal honor. Jesus is the one who deserves our utmost honor. And so please don't miss that point and focus on one of these three groups of folks. This is about Jesus. He is deserving of the most honor. And so let's honor God in all that we say and all that we do and all that we are. First, we honor God. Second, this passage helps us to evaluate what we truly honor. There are caveats to honoring widows and elders. And verse 16 says, he doesn't want the church to be burdened. If a widow has help or an elder is unqualified or a slave doesn't work, it's like Paul's words in 2 Thessalonians 3.10. If anyone's not willing to work, let him not eat. If they're not worthy of the honor that the Bible says they are due, then ask the question, are they really part of God's family? 
We, use a, we have a benevolence ministry here. You'll see that in the budget. If you want to grab a copy of that, there's copies in the back that we'll talk about after service. But that benevolence budget, we call it benevolence for our church. We have an outreach budget for money that goes outside of the church. But we want our benevolence ministry, as you all generously give to this church, to be used for the church as are needed. Your generosity helps pay for our staff. It helps keep the lights on. It keeps an air conditioner on right now, which is nice. We want to use our resources to care for the church. And so when you see our benevolence budget, as we talk about it shortly, it's for those helping in the church. And so you'll see we hadn't needed to use much of it last year. And so we want to keep the dollar amount higher. So if this recession does come, we can actually help each other in this. So we want to care for the church family. But what we resource shows us what we love. We have a youth budget, right? Because we want to love the youth kids. We have a women's ministry budget because we want to bless the ladies of the church. We support church planting in New England and around the world because God cares about church planting in New England and around the world. Your personal budget would explain what you honor. I'm not going to ask you for a copy of it, but think about where does your money go? What does it show you truly honor? What we want to resource is that which brings Jesus honor as directed in the scriptures. Third, what we honor also combats demonic activity in our midst and in our hearts. Not being worthy of honor shows in verse 12, we deny the faith. Verse 15, that we stray after Satan. 14 says that we are slanders and are subject to judgment in 24. And so I think the question is, does our church budget reflect worldly endeavors or biblical endeavors? Does your personal budget reflect the things of the world or the things of God? I'm not going to ask again, like, I, I want to see your budget. But you can look at it, maybe talk about it with a family member or your spouse. What do you honor? Is it God or is it things that would deny the faith, potentially causing us to stray after Satan? or be subject to judgment. Where we shop, what we buy, are actually good questions to ask in the world we live in. Fourth, what we honor displays Christ to the world. This is a huge theme as well in the letter of our display of who Jesus is and what he's done. Look at verse one of chapter six, that the teaching is reviled when we don't honor our brothers and sisters in Christ. Reviling in the Greek is the word we see in other parts of the New Testament as blasphemy. It's to defame or speak irreverently of God, not honoring him with our response. It causes others to deny our God and Savior. It tears down our witness. Imagine a lonely widow with no help, no family, but they're part of this church. And as they are talking to a neighbor or a friend, they're like, well, you're part of a church, aren't you? Aren't you supposed to be loved and honored by them? And like, oh, no, the church doesn't do that. That would defame our witness in the world. Blasphemy of God, if I need to tell you, is not good. And it comes because of a lack of God or a lack of love and honor for God. And so let's bear witness to the world around us of who we are, because Jesus says they will know that you are my disciples by the way that you love one another. Fifth and finally, 
Remember the gospel in this. How we honor others will show who we honor most. We honor God because of what he has done in us and for us through his son. Consider God's word about us as a mother. In Jesus' words, Matthew 23, 37, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. Jesus isn't a mother, but he says he acts like a mother, caring for his children, loving for his children, protecting his children. God's love for us deserves our reciprocated honor to him. Consider God's words for us as a father. John 1, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And Jesus refers to himself as the good shepherd or a good elder or pastor. He laid down his life for his sheep. So God, our Father, acted on our behalf. He cared for us. He loved us. He protected us. He adopted us into his family. And so God's love towards us as a father deserves honor in return from him. And consider God's words to, about us as a brother. Hebrews 2. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things existed, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. This is speaking of Jesus. That is why he's not ashamed to call us brothers. God's love towards us deserves honor from us. And so how we honor others will show us who we honor most. We honor God because of the gospel, the good news that God saves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And so as we close out our time together, let's honor him. Let's honor him in our singing songs. Let's sing loud. Maybe we can do a cappella. Let's honor him with our hearts bowed in the respect that he deserves. Let's honor him in the giving of our tithes and offerings. If you're part of this church, you know how to do that in the back. Let's honor him because we have God worth honoring. And so let's honor him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength because he deserves it. So would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that your son gives us the, the perfect model of what it means to honor a father where he submitted himself to your will he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross God he gave up his life for ours suffering an excruciating death people who despised him and betrayed him and doubted him and wanted nothing to do with him, his enemies. God, we thank you that he was buried and after th three days he rose from the dead as he said he would, fulfilling his words and scripture and proving he was God and giving us newness of life. And God, we proclaim that we believe that gospel. 
And because of that, we want to give you the honor that you are due. And as Paul finishes that chapter in Philippians 2, we understand and believe that at one day, at one point in history, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God, every tongue will confess that you are worthy of our honor. And so God, would you remind us of that? Would you help us to live in light of that? God, would you call others to yourself in light of our witness in the way that we honor one another? And God, we want to sing to you right now and lift up our voice because you deserve it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.